You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Return to me. Good morning. Good to be with you today. Um, here we are. Last year, I think that we were here together on New Year's Day, saying, hey, look, we have a new year ahead. Now here we are, New Year's Eve. Time to close it out. End of another year. End of another sermon series. End of the Old Testament. Uh, I would say that um, this will probably not happen again. Uh, here we are at the end of a year, at the end of the Old Testament. Um, but I want to say to you this morning, I hope that um, we had a lot of people over the last several weeks come and say, hey, I never went through Malachi before. Um, this is really good. Um, I hope that if you've been a part of our church family for any length of time, that you're beginning to see the evidence that this is all about Jesus. And so Malachi, yes, um, it's good. Um, it's all very, very rich and very, very good because it's, it's all about Jesus. So this morning I'm praying that as we close this book out that the Lord will give us um, insight and wisdom into knowing him more today. So if you would join me in the book of Malachi, um, I, I'm not really about resolutions. I think those are kind of for the birds. At the same time, New Year's are great because it's a fresh start. Uh, I want to challenge you with something. Um, next year, uh, it's, it's coming pretty quickly, bring your Bible to church. Now, I, this is the deal. That statement coming out of my mouth should almost sound ridiculous to you. <laughs> well, of course. Because my kids are going to go back to school this week, and they're going to take their books. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a student of the Word of God. And if there is one thing that we believe defines who we are as a church here, it is the priority that we give to the Word of God. So bring this thing with you. And if you're an iPad, your phone, or whatever, that's fine, um, but... This is the thing that we are building our lives upon. So bring it, all right? We're going to dive in and tear it up, all right? Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You will go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi begins this last 
section of this book, his words from God to his people. Behold, the day is coming. The day is coming. Malachi, just like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Hosea and Zechariah, all of these prophets prophesied that the Messiah, the Christ, would come. Well, here we have a unique prophecy in that Malachi not only prophesies that the Messiah would come, but that he would come again. Twofold prophecy wrapped up in one here. I want you to clue in on this. You're aware of it. The first prophecy came true. Malachi's, Micah's, Zechariah's, Hosea's, Isaiah's, Jeremiah's, the Messiah would come. All of the prophecies came true. They unfolded. They happened just like the scriptures told us they would, that the prophets claimed they would. Jesus Christ came. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but this is really not even debated anymore. This is no longer really a a historical debate. It used to be, oh, oh, Jesus, he didn't exist. He wasn't a real person. That argument's not even put on the table anymore. So what's happened is people have stopped trying to debunk the existence of Jesus, and now they just debate the lordship of Jesus. Oh, I'll give you Jesus was here. He was a man. He came. He even died on a cross. But he was God? No, no, no. I don't think so. Let me give you some examples. Let's talk about what some of the world religions believe. It's very helpful for us to know this and understand this. Let's start with Buddhist. What does a Buddhist believe? What does Buddhism teach? Buddhism will give you that Jesus lived. In fact, what Buddhism will tell you is a Buddhist believes that Jesus was a great and wise teacher. Jesus definitely had some great things to say. And Buddha would say, oh, you should listen to Jesus. Um, How about Islam? Well, Muslims believe that Jesus existed and that Jesus was a great prophet. But what the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians couldn't do, um, Muhammad came along and took care of that. Jesus was a great prophet, but he wasn't God. Hinduism... Hinduism will give you that not only Jesus existed, but that Jesus was and is a God. The problem is, is that in Hinduism, Jesus is one of about 30,000 gods. This is the biggest struggle that we have when we go to India, when people come to faith in Christ, them coming to the realization that recognizing Jesus as not only a God, but the one true God means abandoning all of their 30,000 other dead gods. And so that's difficult for them because Hinduism teaches that you can have as many gods as you want. You'll drive down the road and see a temple to this God, a temple to that God, a temple to another God, on and on and on. And you can just pick and choose like you want. Kind of like Chip's favorite place, Piccadilly, the buffet. I'll take some of this. I'll take some of that. I'll take some of this. That's Hinduism. Judaism. Judaism teaches and believes that Jesus 
was not only real and existed, but that he was Mary's son, that he was a miracle worker, and that he died on a cross. The problem is in Judaism is that it ends there. There was a crucifixion, but there was no resurrection. You can't believe any of those things about Jesus um, unless you believe that he was who he said he is. Let me, let me make sure what I'm saying is clear here. You can't really believe what um, Buddhism teaches, that Jesus was a great and wise teacher, unless you accept the things that he taught. You can't believe Jesus was a great prophet unless you believe the things that he said. And you'll remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to God, no one comes to the Father except through me. C.S. Lewis, in talking about this, in Mere Christianity, this is a very, very famous quote. And and I would encourage you to hunt this down, look it up, and read it often. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. I really wish I could have met C.S. Lewis. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He does not intend to. Why am I going on and on about the evidence of Jesus not only coming, but being who he says he is? Well, friends, Jesus came, Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended back to the Father where he now sits at the right hand of God. And one day that only the Father knows about, Jesus Christ will come again. He will come again. He will make all things new and his kingdom will be fully present for all eternity. He will be a refining fire for those who seek him now, but he will be a consuming fire for those who reject him. We believe that because he came like he said he would, that he will come again as he says he will. And Malachi begins by reminding us, behold, pay attention, be on your toes and on the lookout. That day is coming. Burning like an oven and it will set them ablaze. Malachi 4 begins with the Lord finally answering a question that has been posed earlier and posed often throughout the book of Malachi. Why do the wicked prosper? 
And God's people aren't asking anything in Malachi that they weren't asking all throughout the Psalms and all throughout times before this. Why do the wicked prosper? Why does it seem that the wicked not only go unpunished, but they're even being blessed in the midst of their rebellion? Why, why is this happening? Well, God says here that the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be burned up. That day is coming and it will set them ablaze. He goes on and he says that you, my people, will tread down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day, what? When I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is God saying, in my time, in my way, through my judgment, the wicked will ultimately suffer the consequences. But you cannot divorce that from the knowledge that we have that God desires that no one should perish. No one. And so when you and I walk through what we feel like is the valley of the shadow of death and our human eyes look left and right and we think, well, why do the wicked, why do the people who reject God seem to go unpunished, seem to be blessed? Why do things not appear, Lord, to be the way they ought to be? God says, don't you dare trust your human eyes. They will lie to you. Your heart will deceive you. But those who ultimately reject me, they will suffer the consequences But if you are my people, your heart should beat the same as mine does. And that is that I desire that no one would perish. And so we rest in understanding we're not the ones given the task, burdened with the responsibility of that judgment. But the question still remains, well, okay, What about us? What about those who seek the Lord, who trust the Lord, who follow and worship the Lord? I would tell you this morning, I don't know of any greater news to share with you than Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. For those who fear the Lord, for those who walk with Him, for those who trust Him, for those who seek Him, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. What or who is the sun of righteousness? Look with me for a moment in Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, this is Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and he is prophesying. And he goes from talking about what his son would come to do as the forerunner or the messenger of the Messiah to talking about what the Messiah would come after him and do. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 76, talking about John the Baptist, his son, Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins 
because of the tender mercy of our God. And now he begins talking about the Messiah. Whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah prophesies about Jesus that the sun would come from on high. And in one of the most powerful word pictures in all of the scriptures, Malachi tells us who Christ would be and what he would do. The son of righteousness will come. Friends, you and I need to know and understand that Jesus Christ is a rising sun. Jesus is a rising sun. The sun may not appear to come out today, but you know this. The sun always comes up. If you've seen Annie, which if you haven't seen Annie, I don't know what your problem is. You need to see this movie. You know, because of Annie, when the sun will possibly come out. Tomorrow, right? I don't know if Annie was an orphan and a meteorologist or or who gave her this information. I don't know if the sun will come out today or tomorrow, but I know it always comes up. The sun will always come. Rise. Certain things may keep it from being visible, but it's always there. We see, we feel, we experience its effects every single moment of every day. If it was just a little bit further away, and understand this is all God's doing, if it was just a little bit further away, we would cease to exist. If it was just a little bit closer, we would be completely burned up and consumed. It just happens to be 93 million miles away in the perfect spot. But it will always come up. The sun of righteousness will rise. What does the sun do? Malachi didn't use this word picture on accident, randomly, for no reason. Think about what does the sun do? And what does this tell us about the presence and the lordship and the power of Jesus Christ? One thing that this tells us, the sun brings light where there's darkness. You and I need to know that. The sun brings light where there's darkness. It exposes what attempts to remain hidden. It helps us to be able to see. So understanding this, we understand that Jesus helps us see things as they really are. Let's put it in even simpler terms. Jesus exposes the truth. Jesus exposes the truth. In John chapter 18, very, very interesting interchange goes on between Jesus and a guy named Pilate. Jesus is standing with Pilate in front of the crowds, knowing he is about to be crucified. Pilate doesn't want anything to do with all the mess that's coming along with having to bother with this Jesus guy. And he questions Jesus, say, everybody's saying that you claim to be the king of the Jews. So are you a king Jesus says back to him, You say that I am a king. 
For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate, as if he was born and lived in this very century with which we live, arrogantly says to Jesus, what is truth? Pilate, he would have fit in in our day. It's as if, hey, Jesus, isn't truth, isn't that just relative to who you are and what you want and what you think? What is the truth? John Piper wrote about this interchange between Jesus and Pilate, and I want you to hear what he said this morning because it's quite applicable. That is the tragic and cynical cry of our age. What is truth? Not because there's a passion for truth, but because there's so much skepticism that any such thing exists. And the effect of this skepticism and relativism is moral and intellectual and personal and family bankruptcy. And I want to pause Piper there for a minute and make sure we understand something. When you and I, when we look around and we see uh, this moral and intellectual and personal and familial bankruptcy. Those things are not the cause of people saying, oh, well, maybe the Bible's good for something, but it doesn't matter to me. Those things don't cause an abandonment of truth. Those things are the result of abandoning the truth. Switch the seats. It all begins with what you hold and believe this to be. Is this some good advice for days when maybe I need it? Or is this the word of the creator of the universe? Why do many families come apart? Because they have no anchor of truth. The husband and father has no clear vision of why he or his children exist. And so all he can do is pass on a few tips for how to make more money or stay healthy. And the emptiness gets deeper and deeper with each unbelieving generation. But Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus brings sense and meaning out of absurdity. How and why does Jesus do this? Because Jesus brings light where there was darkness. The sun... What else does the sun do? The sun also brings security or safety where there was danger. And you know what? That's really just a byproduct of the first thing. The reason that the sun brings security where there was danger is because it brings light where there was darkness. Think about this. When do most burglaries happen? When do most people get mugged or attacked? When do people do things of this nature? 95% of the time, they do it when it's dark. I should have brought all this gear with me this morning. But if you ever saw my wife running at like 5 o'clock in the morning, it's pretty cool. Because like first of all, she has this thing that goes around her that makes her look like a Cylon on Battlestar Galactica that like glows, it'll blink if you want it to, it'll be blue, pink, orange, green, whatever. This is so no one will be able to claim they didn't see you. 
Like if I'm driving down the road at five in the morning, I will see her running, thinking it's maybe a spaceship until I get up closer. You want people to see you. But see, then there's the other side of this, that sometimes at 12 o'clock midnight or five o'clock in the morning, somebody may be lurking and they don't want you to see them. And that's why my wife, when she's running out there with her pals at five in the morning and I'm still in my comfy, cozy bed, she has this little tube of mace and we know how to use it. Why? Why is this? Well, because people do things in the dark they won't do in the light. And do you know why that's the case? Because there is a belief somewhere within us that all of these things will remain hidden. There's a belief that what goes apparently unseen will go unpunished. And again, it goes back to what I said a moment ago. It really has to do with what you fundamentally believe about God. See, in Luke chapter 8, listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 verse 17. He says, nothing is hidden. Nothing. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nothing is hidden that eventually will not come into the light. It will be exposed. Nothing is, in, nothing is secret that will not be made known and come to light. Eventually, it's all going to be out on the table. But the sun brings security where there was danger. The sun brings light where there's darkness. And the sun of righteousness will rise. And Malachi says he will rise with healing in his wings. Where does healing come from? What do righteousness and healing have to do with one another? Why isn't the son of righteousness going to rise with celebration in his wings? Why isn't he going to rise with something else? Why is it that he's going to bring healing? I would say it's because that's what we need. When we hear Malachi say this, it, it helps us further understand a couple of things about our Lord. One of those things is Jesus makes things right. Jesus makes things right. And do you know the only thing that can make things right is the truth? That's it. Not one person in this room, if we took a poll or a survey, would say, hey, you know, I'm up for some cancer. That'd be great. Nobody wants that. But here's the thing. If you have cancer, you want the doctor to know so that you know and you can say, here's what we're going to do to attack it. None of us ever want to hear those words stated, but we do want to hear them if they're the truth so that we can begin to fight it. There are a lot of folks who don't want to deal with debt. Some people just want to pretend that like, oh, I'm just gonna, gonna, not going to look at my bank account. I'll just pretend there's money in there. 
Um, and I'll just take this new credit card and put all the credit cards on that one. And if I haven't paid it off by next year, I'll get another credit card and I'll put all the credit cards on that one. And it just keeps mounting and building and mounting and building. There's a reason why we've led a class here over the last several months called Financial Peace. It's because until you get that stuff in order, there won't be any peace. And while a lot of people like to pretend and ignore that there's debt there, until you reckon with the truth and you do something about it, you will live paralyzed. So now let's take this a little bit further. Many people don't want to believe that they're dead in their sin. That that they have sinned from the beginning. And that there's absolutely nothing that they can do to, to make that right. But until you believe and accept that you have sinned against a holy God and there's nothing that you can do to make it right, you're not going to understand that you need a Savior. You're not going to really care that the Son of God came in your place. But see, Jesus makes things right. And the only, the only way that things are made right is through the truth. Through the truth. Jesus reconciles us back to one another. And Jesus makes things whole. Jesus makes things whole. Jesus brings healing. A question for you to think about. And this is what we call a rhetorical question. Just want you to ponder on this for a moment. Why do you think Jesus healed anyone? Think, think back through everything you've read and that you've heard, stories of things Jesus did. Why did Jesus heal anyone? Now, with that question out there, let me ask a question that I think is probably asked and pondered more often. And that question is, why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Remember, Jesus healed 10 lepers. Do you remember this story? Jesus heals 10 lepers and tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. Well, one of them comes back and Jesus says, weren't there 10 of you? Where are the other nine? Jesus healed two blind men one day. If Jesus could heal the two blind men, why didn't he just say, hey, blind people, I'm going to wait down here. Y'all make your way. In fact, nope, just stay where you are. I can do it from here. All blind people heal. If Jesus could heal ten lepers, why didn't he heal all the lepers? If he could heal two blind people, why didn't he heal all of the blind people? Why didn't Jesus just heal everyone? Well, let's go back to the first question. Why did Jesus heal anyone? He did it to reveal who he really was. To give evidence to the testimony that I am the son of the living God. But that's not why Jesus came. That's not why he came. 
He came because we had and have a much greater need to be saved from sin and to be brought from death to life. Now, remember that mixed in with the hundreds of healings, there were these two occasions where a little girl and a middle-aged man came back from the dead by the authority of Jesus Christ. This is to say, that's not why I came. I didn't come to heal physical blindness. I didn't come to heal leprosy. Um, I came to bring you back from the dead. But an even greater death than the physical death, spiritual death. I have come to reconcile you back to the Father. Jesus healed to reveal... Catch this. Jesus healed to reveal what he would ultimately do when he comes again. He will be the son of righteousness and he will rise with ultimate healing in his wings. I love to go to my mother and father-in-law's house. Obviously, first of all, because my mother-in-law and father-in-law are there. And I don't just say that because she's here this morning. But my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law live on the Isle of Palms, South Carolina. Just me saying that, you're sitting there and you're going, I would like to go there. And you should think that. You should probably all just come with us sometime. It's, it's awesome. Every time that we go, especially in the summer... I try, and I mean, this is hard, folks, but I try at least once to get my lazy keister out of bed and try to get to the beach in time to watch the sun come up. Now, check the weather before you make this plan. But this is an amazing thing. I've seen the sun set on the West Coast, and that's pretty cool. But for me, there's just something about seeing that big, majestic ball of fire begin to raise its head up over the horizon. And then it like takes over everything and it says, I'm here to rule the day. And see, every time I have had the opportunity to see that in my lifetime, I feel like God is almost kind of whispering to me, Hey, Brian, just know this. One day I'm going to envelop and consume all of this. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make it all new. All of it. I'm going to make it whole And I'm going to make it new. And guess what? There won't be any more debt. There won't be any more bankruptcy. There won't be any more mortgages. Amen. Or car payments. Praise God. In fact, there won't even be any more banks. There won't be any more bitterness or envy. There won't be any more cancer or Parkinson's. There won't be any more Alzheimer's. There won't be any more multiple sclerosis. 
There will be no more deafness, blindness. Your legs will work. Your arms will work. It'll all be new. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more fear. There will be no more shame. I will make all things new. All things will be whole. All things will be right. Behold, I am coming again. Behold, the day is coming. I love the fact that this prophet, who we don't really know much about, declares the king is coming and the king will come again. End of the story. And then 400 years later, God sends his son. Friends, Jesus Christ desires in your life and mine to make all things new. And yes, he ultimately is coming again. All things will be made right. His kingdom will be fully present for all eternity. But God says to his people right here, right now, the kingdom is not somewhere far off. It's not something that we just anticipate because of what I have come, what I have done, what I am doing because of my word, because of my spirit. The kingdom is within you now. And now bring it into this world that it might advance right here, right now for my glory. That's what we're called to as the church of Jesus Christ. Happy New Year. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you of your incomprehensible love for us. We thank you that you came knowing what you would face, knowing what you would endure. Lord, we we pray that you would work in our hearts in a way that we wake up every day with the anticipation that you are coming. And Lord, we don't know the time, the day, the hour, but you said I'm coming again. Lord, we desire that we would be found living in readiness and anticipation. Would you loosen our grip on the things of this world today, Lord? God, give us a great hunger and thirst for you. In just a moment, we're going to spend some time worshiping the Lord. We have the opportunity this morning to take communion. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you come, if you take the bread, the cup, whether you, you come by yourself, with a friend, with your family, that you take a few moments to remember why we take this. That 
Every time we take that bread, we remember that Christ's body was broken for us. When we take that cup, we remember that Jesus' blood was shed for us. And that that blood, the blood of Christ, covers all our sin. If you need to come to the cross or the steps and make that an altar this morning, we invite you to come. Lord, in these moments, we pray that you would be honored, glorified, and lifted up. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the only one worthy of our praise. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.